Software Engineering Radio Episode 81, Interview with Eric Gammer. Hello listeners, welcome to the Christmas edition of Software Engineering Radio. This one is another interview episode um, with uh, somebody who we've tried to get uh, in front of the microphone for a long time and it never worked for the usual reasons. I didn't have time, he didn't have time. We met at a conference and, well, everybody had other stuff to do, but we now finally managed to do it at Uppsala 2007 in, uh, well, where was it? In Montreal. Canada. Well, and we talked about what you would expect, about patterns, about JUnit, about Eclipse, about Jazz. Um, should be an interesting interview. But before we get to the content, um, since this is the last show of 2007, I just want to say thank you for uh, listening to SE Radio, for supporting us with your positive comments, with your feedback, and also with your donations. Um, we have been running this experiment, well, where we tried to get donations at a level that is enough for us to be able to get uh, some of the stuff financed we want to finance. And actually the, the donations were quite okay. Um, I have to find out exactly what the numbers are and I will tell you uh, early uh, next year when the 2007 year is really completely over. But it looks good. I'm not yet sure whether it's enough uh, to so we can do it without sponsoring the long term. Um, we've also been given a significant amount of money from a company um, and I'll reveal details in the new year. We have to say thank you somehow um, and we'll do that. Um, we'll put uh, some stuff on the website and maybe mention a company a couple of times. It's important for you to understand that I didn't ask them. It's not like I asked for sponsoring. They just said, hey, we like SE Radio. Here is the money. Do something sensible. And I really think we should we should thank them. Um, anyway, so I will give you more details beginning of next year. This was just a quick heads up. And since we are talking about money things, you might have noticed on the SE Radio website, we have created another button on the, basically on the title page on the left. So instead of uh, giving us a one-time donation, you can also um, subscribe to SE Radio with a monthly $3 uh, subscription. And the nice thing about subscriptions is that it gives you, well, it gives us, I should say, a way of um, planning. So if you subscribe, then we know that we probably get such and such amounts of money per month, and that means we can plan ahead. So you might consider subscribing to the uh, regular donations. There is another thing I want to talk about, talk about. I have mentioned this in the past before. And that is that we were thinking about a little SE Radio conference. We are tentatively calling it the SE Radio um, Get Together 2008. And, uh, well, the institutionalized coffee break. We were thinking about a open space conference. Um, so on the SE Radio website, left side, more or less at the top, you'll see a nice picture of a campfire. Uh, it says something about SE Radio Get Together. Please click there. We have a couple of questions where we need to know your answers about how much, when, how long, which language, and whether you're interested in general. So please go ahead, um, go there, answer the questions. This will allow us to plan and decide whether we're doing this or whether we're not going to do this to be able to plan. Okay, um, that was enough of metadata. 
let's get to today's episode. As I said, it's an interview with Eric Gamma. And, uh, well, have fun listening to it. Have uh, a nice Christmas tomorrow <laughs> and a good 2008. Talk to you in the new year. Welcome, Eric, to the show. Glad to be here. So, Eric, why don't you start by introducing yourself to our audience? So, well, my name is Eric Emmer. I'm a distinction engineer working from Zurich. We have a lab in Zurich. We have a small team there. And uh, our current work from Focus is now Bose, Eclipse, and Jazz, as you might call later in the interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll cover these different things. Okay. So before we go there, something I always wanted to know: where does your name Gamma come from? It's actually quite geeky, so it's a good fit. So is that a typical name in Switzerland? Yeah, it's not the release attribute; it's really a real name. <laughs> so uh, it's very popular in the central part of Switzerland. So there's a village where everybody is almost called Gamma. Okay, so it's not that special. Okay. <laughs> So let's first talk a little bit about patterns. Everybody knows that you've written this golf book together with the other three guys. So if you look at uh, look back at the influence the golf book had, the patterns book had, are you happy with how it went? What do you think? How can I not be happy? Well, you never know. What I'm amazed of looking at what has changed since you wrote the book, right? You wrote the book before internet, before mm-hmm. Java, before XML, before whatever, right? which has proven to me that people are still interested. It has some timeless material in there, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Objects, how they talk to each other, that's still in there. So that's kind of, to me, uh, the most amazing thing. Mm-hmm. However, uh, there is also a lesson in there, right? And which is a little bit of frustration, maybe. You cannot learn patterns from a book. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the alternative is to not have a book. So you have a choice, right, between having <laughs> yeah. a book and not a book. So, of course, it has exceeded our wildest dreams. Right. How we, yeah. how we see that. So how many do you roughly sell these days still? Is it is it still in the charts, kind of? It's I still get a check. So yeah. <laughs> once a year, um, I think we are in the order of 350,000 and we still sell cool. 1,000 per month. So per cool. Month, something like that. So. <laughs> That's really impressive. And many companies know they hand out the book to their employees when they start the first day of working. So mm-hmm. it's... Cool. Good idea, actually, to hand out the book. <laughs> so... What do you think about the patterns community today? How? What do you think? How has it developed? What's your opinion in general about this stuff? So, I first of all I think the the community of, that has built around patterns is 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 by itself a success, right? So, some inner circle had this idea of patterns, and they started early on. In order to make a success, you build a community, and I mm-hmm. think this was very effective. And yeah. I think it's a really uh, a compliment also to this whole movement is that it's still alive, right? So I was surprised here at Uppsala. There is still a tiny plop, or how is it called? A mini plop, I mini guess. Mini plop. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole <clears throat> model of uh, communication, interaction, shepherding, workshops, it's still alive. And I think there is now a whole new generation yep. and has in there and is energizing the movement. So I'm impressed that it's it's still alive. Of course, the scope has broadened. Yeah. As you see also when you look at the Google for books on patterns, right? Yeah. You will be impressed what the scope is <laughs> yeah. these days. But I think it's, it's a very successful community and the fresh, the fresh minds, I think they keep it alive. Yeah. And, uh, it's a successful example also of rolling over a community, right? So some yeah. people move, stepped out, but new people came in and pushed it forward. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great. So would you agree to the notion that, let's say, the, the basic design patterns are all documented with your book and the POSA book and maybe two or three other books or patterns, and now things have to become more domain-specific or architecture-specific in order to find more patterns? I think that's definitely what the past you also see, right, with the coverage, you know, there's kind of each new technology 
comes with new experience, comes with new lessons learned, yep. and you want to re reuse that experience. That's why uh, you should capture it in patterns, sure. and patterns are a good way to do that. Yeah. That's definitely one path. I wouldn't say that the whole uh, pattern wisdom is covered by 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 the design patterns book. That but it covers a good share. Mm -hmm. Also covers some some less important ones, right? So I have my top ten list of patterns which I like in the book, and there are also ones which I don't like that Singleton. much. Singleton, Singleton <laughs> is one which uh, I think have overblown in the book, which yeah. kind of almost it's it's a bad design. It's yeah. not not objects, right? You have one yeah. well known thing to go to. Yeah. Um, would would you put dependency injection in there if you did the book again today? So actually, we have some reflection two years ago if you would modernize the book because yeah. people are right. They complain the book needs to be modernized. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. And we talked about what patterns we will put in, right? There is definitely no uh, type object that comes in mm -hmm. right, that you have some representation that you can to get a little bit meta, meta level representation. Yep. Null object is one, is yeah. one of them. Classical. Yeah. Um, which you would add and dependency injection. Is something which, which I think is also along the path of pattern thinking or design pattern thinking, right? Design yeah. patterns is a lot about abstract coupling. Yep. How we call determining if you reference another type via an interface or an abstract class. So yeah. it depends injection makes the coupling even looser, right? Yep, By right. even extracting it out of the source code yep, yep, and yep. having it kind of injected somewhere. Yeah, making the in the, the, the connection somebody else's later, responsibility. Right? As late as possible. Yeah, yeah. So and from that I think I would have to think about how to write it up well, but I've seen Martin Fowler in attempt, so I yep. think that's definitely something. The, the reason like why, I, cover. why I asked was because I have heard several people that said, all the creational patterns in the Goff book should basically go away. We can all do it with dependency injection. And I thought, mm, well, that's, well, that's not what I would say. Now, each pattern is about a trade-off. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, each, and that was the lesson also when you wrote the book, right? Initially, we thought each pattern is a panacea. Yep. Then until so you said, wait, you're wrong, right? For each, with each pattern comes trade-offs. The obvious one is additional interactions, additional complexity. Yep. And uh, the same comes with dependency injection, right? right. It has exactly. a price. It has a understanding problem. You yep. have to understand how this fits, fits together, debugging issues. Right. And it really depends. If a single, single factory method is doing my job for object creation, then I'm fine, sure. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you haven't been very active in the last couple of years in the patterns community. I haven't seen you on a, on a patterns conference. Was that intended or did you just move on and had other stuff to do? No, I think it wasn't not intended, but it's just, um, I, I, I'm, I still actively use patterns. Sure. I'm interested in patterns. I read the, the plot proceedings, yeah. which you have edited one of them, I guess. So yeah. The, the plot D5. The plot D5. So I track it and I'm interested in it. And also I, I use it when I write about it. Remember yeah. that. When I wrote the Eclipse book, have sure. one yeah. section on it, point. patterns, which I, so I, I like to think in patterns and I have, I'm, I have high interest, but just making active contributions, this has gone down. So yeah. Just the focus on yeah, sure. my work. And it's different. It's not intentional. It's yeah. not a loss of interest. Although I've seen your name on the uh, editor board or advisory board or program committee of the new patterns journal that's about to come out from the Hillside Group. So I thought that was good. That's good, and I, that's what I also thought is a great opportunity to to get back, kind of to not uh, yeah. lose touch completely. Yeah. Although, although Utah joked that there are only people on the on the board who haven't done anything in patterns in the last five years, but we maybe shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a pattern for the for yeah. the board. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the next like thing you're known for, which is JUnit. And you just told me a couple of minutes ago that 
today or this week is more or less the, the 10 year anniversary anniversary of JUnit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how JUnit came about? Okay, yeah, it's, it's kind of a fun story. So uh, exactly 10 years ago, there was Upsla in Atlanta and Kent Beck was uh, living in Zurich for two years with his family and mm -hmm. we flew together with Austrian Airlines <laughs> to Atlanta and we had 10 hours time and we... we we not only like to talk together, Kent and I, we also enjoy programming together. And mm -hmm. so that's as obvious. It's a great opportunity. He has had this idea about his testing framework as unit and, uh, kind of, I say, okay, I can teach you Java. Yep. If you as unit me. because small talk. Yes. It yeah, was okay. a small talk mm -hmm. unit. Okay. That was Kent's original sure. idea. So yeah. I, yeah. and I said, okay, I teach you Java. We do it together and we explain it together and we talk patterns, patterns together. And yeah. it really happened during the flight. From Zurich to Atlanta, we wrote the initial version of the framework. We were drinking lots of Almdudler. <laughs> and uh, from then on, it has started, and that's 10 years ago. Yeah. So would you think that many people say that JUnit is probably your most pervasive contribution to the field of software in general? Would you agree, or would you rather think that's maybe the pattern stuff? I didn't make this up, yeah, so just, I just... <laughs> just if I look at my, my sweat indication factor, right? Yeah. There's way more sweat in design patterns. Yeah, that, that yeah, that's JUnit true. was really, you know, it's a small, fun little piece. But isn't that the nice thing about it? It's small, it's easy to understand, and it had this huge impact. No, that's another community success, right? Yes. Pattern was a community success. JUnit is also a community success. And, uh, of course, Kent uh, did a really great job at that. And yeah, yeah. and, and uh, I was glad I could contribute to that as well. So what is necessary to make something a community success? I mean, if we go on to, to Eclipse, it's again a community success. Yes, so yes. what is the secret sauce here? The secret source one? here is you have to get something to a level which is interesting, right? It's, it has to be a kind of a present, mm -hmm. but it has to have enough interesting stuff in there that others look at it. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's not enough to talk about something. It's not enough to talk about concepts. It has to be runnable, usable, and then I guess you can start building a community around it. Mm -hmm. And of course, it needs not only code. You need, I guess, the test infected paper we wrote was yeah. important, which showed programmers actually it's uncool to not have tests. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't it's say the other way around. I wouldn't say the other way. It's cool to have tests, but it's uncool yeah. to not have tests. Yeah, that's maybe the thing, to have this shift in mindset from testing as a as something, a chore that you have to do and that's kind of boring and dull to something that is the driver for the design of your system. Absolutely. And I can imagine I want to go back, right, to the before test, yeah. test uh, where programming or test sensitive to that. Intense programming. It's interesting. You you should say this word because uh, I I mean test driven development is about writing the test first. You said something different. You said test aware or test sensitive. Are you actually like one of these let's say religious fanatics? <laughs> let's say you always have to write the test first, or are you a bit more pragmatic there to say the important is you have to cover it. It doesn't matter if you do it first. Or right. I think the important thing is you have to test, and sometimes it's good to write them in advance. I yeah. think it's almost always good to have mm -hmm. them in advance. But uh, yeah, I think I'm pragmatic now. I'm happy when I have tests, yeah. and th when it happened, I don't 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 bo not that much bother. Yeah, about yeah, that. yeah. Well, the argument is always if you write tests, then you that, no, sure. it, it makes your your software testable, and that's yeah, a good thing. Absolutely, it, you think yeah. about dependencies, right. you think about setting up the objects so that you can right. test them. That's yeah. all. That's all good things, yeah. and I will not downplay that. Yeah, sure. No, no. See, I had, I went through, I, I maybe I got the best test education, right? With pair programming with Ken. <laughs> yes. And trust me, when I start to program, want to implement some code feature, uh, in the framework without writing a test first, he would have pulled away the keyboard from immediately. Yeah. So, so <laughs> no, I, I went through that and I think it's, it's a great experience. Yeah. 
and no doubt about it. I also guess that if you want to introduce testing into a community, you have to be radical in some sense and always do it in a certain way. If you say, like, Ken would pull the keyboard away, you have to be really consequent. And then once it's in you, you can then make the compromises, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. I think now it's... Ken's mindset is, which I sort of appreciate, if something is good, turn the volume to the maximum. <laughs> yes. And yeah. that's how you get it. And then right. make no compromise. Right. Okay, let's look at another thing you've been involved in, obviously Eclipse. Um, so, well, I mean, we can talk quite a bit about Eclipse. Um, what would you say is, is the most important aspect of Eclipse, maybe except from the obvious, which is the community? So, back again. So, what is the technical, what's the important technical aspect of Eclipse that make, that can make it so successful as it is these days? I think it's, it's maybe two things, right? First of all, from the beginning, we had this kind of growth path in mind. How we want to extend the Eclipse. Now, mm -hmm. Fred Brooks made this some point on the, when you design a system, keep the growth path of the system in mind. I think yeah. that captures it well. We had, when we did Eclipse, from the beginning, we said everything should be plugins. But you also understood it needs to have a growth path because if you're successful, there will be tons of plugins. Yep. So we had this kind of modularity plus scalability in mind from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's why it is this, this direct declarative plugin dependencies uh, model with extension points, which lazy load dependencies, things like that. So that's the, the key thing, right? The, keeping the growth path yep. of Eclipse in mind mm -hmm. and modularity is a very yeah. important lesson. In other words, maybe it has an architecture that is able to cope with unexpected or unplanned extensions. I would say um, it's planned for growth and component, but unplanned ex extension smells to me too much like uncontrolled extension. Yeah. And uncontrolled extension, it turns out to often be a problem because right. it's maintainability-wise. And that's yep. another thing which was important to Eclipse. It's not only the, the growth path, but also the stability. Right. Kept in mind. Because if you want to get growth, right, you have to get some stable foundation that things can grow on top. Yeah. As much as I hate as a developer the API uh, stability and constraints you have there, right? Yeah. It's 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 like you're getting handcuffed, and right. you have to be build layers and layers of uh, compatibility. You know, I think we have five different preference yeah. mechanisms, and I don't know actually if you would make a test on me, I'm sure I would not be able to tell you which one is implemented in top of, you know, on top of each other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the price you pay, right? For growing a community, you have to have a, a growth uh, modularity story and a stability story. Plus what I forgot, we had also the tool story, right? And that was the What do you mean by the tool story? It's good if you buy architecture you allow that you can have a growth path that you can have additional plugins. But you should also make it easy that to write oh, new plugins. Sure. Right? So that's why we have a not only the clips comes not only a, a nice Java development tool, but also comes a tool set for writing plugins, right. managing plugins, and so on, right? So it's kind of these three things which yeah. which gave the snowball effect. Mm -hmm. You enable the growth path, things happen, and then more and more plugins come into place, more and more people know about plugins, and then you have the skills. Yeah. And that was really key. And I, I really stopped counting, right? I have no numbers. The plugins? How many plugins are for Eclipse or how many yeah. things? It's just has, yeah. has escaped me a couple yeah. of years ago. I always like to call Eclipse an operating system for tool development. That was at the beginning division yeah. until we got abused for normal application development. Like RCP or what? RCP rich client, right? Okay, so people, why do you call this abused? No, no our <laughs> in software development, when it comes to, sh to, to ship something, right? One key element of us is focus. Focus, right? yeah. So, and mm -hmm. we know. 
yes, we could have built a general framework for, for building applications. Mm -hmm. And uh, we said, no, we focus on it's a tools platform. That's what you want. Right? Mm -hmm. And then from the outside came the request. Can you actually, they've, they've done that. I say abused kind of, so it was really pressured, right? Because they have yeah. started to hack, uh, yes. Eclipse and, and then so that's not good. And actually we see potential and we were kind of surprised about the generality of the, of the yeah. framework, which really, yeah, given our focus wasn't anticipated. And now it even moves to the server, right? And now it even moves to the server. And so it's a OSGI and the yep. extensibility model everywhere. And as we will see in chess, right, we leverage this extensibility also on the server. Yep. So, um, you said that stability is obviously a key component of, of making an architecture future proof so people can trust that what they do now right. isn't going to be, you know, like rubbish tomorrow. So what do you do technically? And later we discuss about the process. What do you do technically to, to keep the Eclipse core and the existing plat plugins API stable? Okay, what we invest into right now is API tools. Mm -hmm. We always had kind of tools which just compared APIs so that we know whether we have mm -hmm. broken something. Yeah. Right. So uh, we have tools that give us a diff uh, from from API stuff, and oh, we're yeah. improving mm -hmm. that right now. We also have, I guess, since Eclipse three, we have support that you know when you're not using API. Called garbage collection, kind of. It tells no, you no. what what's never used. No, 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 no. You want to also educate your clients. Yeah what they should program against. Right. Okay. So that's why you make explicit what is API or not. Yeah. And with tools we have in Eclipse, since Eclipse 3, you can say, you know, and see whether you use a method which is not part oh, of Oh, API. the other way around. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the other thing which helps us you know because if, if our community doesn't understand the value of APIs and they're programming it internally, don't give us feedback when they have to use internal stuff and yeah. ask because that's a sign we should expose more and of yeah. course intentionally we start we start with a small set of exposed APIs because we know the commitment is serious so that's why you ought to do it on demand by request mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so let's briefly look at um, the development process you have given tons of talks and shown the same slide so many times so what, which slide are you referring to <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember all of them specifically I was just getting at the point that um, you, real, you have you as a team have realized that the way you develop software is probably not the worst way because you're able to deliver stable, reliable stuff in regular amount, uh, time intervals. So that's why you've started documenting and quote formalizing the Eclipse way, which is the process of developing Eclipse itself. So can you talk a little bit about that? What can people learn from Eclipse development? And I guess except test-driven development, I assume that's part of it. If you look at the Eclipse practices we, we use, and mm -hmm. we say we are part of the Eclipse way, many of them are established agile practices, right? right? Continuous integration, continuous testing, uh, iterative development. <laughs> we, we haven't innovated there at all, right? Yep. So we tried out what worked for us. We keep doing. We, so we tried pair programming. Yeah. Didn't stick. We sometimes use it, but mm -hmm. uh, I would say, you know, the value I see is the set of practices we use and how we evolve it over time. Mm -hmm. Know, by retrospectives, how we improved it. And I think what people can learn from that uh, is more also how agility can scale right, with a yeah. distributed team. And yeah. again, the key element here is now, well, you work with components, assign a team to component, yeah. and then agree overall across component on a release rhythm to iterative development. And each iteration has not only be iterative, but also yeah. have added value. So iterative plus incremental, yeah. the obvious buzzword. Yeah. And that enables feedback. 
right? And then the next key lesson is the transparency, right? So transparency is a good thing for software development. And that's not just towards the outside. It's also transparency within the teams. Everybody knows everybody does. The, the key point is that at some point when you start to use the same communication infrastructure inside as outside, mm -hmm, right? yeah. because then it helps you in the inside also, but it also enables outsiders to give right. you feedback. Yeah, yeah. I think another another key topic is the fact that you're actually development the devel de developing a development tool so you can eat your own dog food. You can use the tool to develop the tool. So people have to use what they did before. Right, right. Eat your own dog food, drink your own champagne, or eat your own yeah, chocolate. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's a benefit, right? We yeah. definitely that's something which others don't have as a luxury, right? Others have applied the clips way as well. And the feedback was you no know, many of the practices apply easily, you know, how we do approvals, sign offs, whatever that works well. There's of course the eat your own dog food, which is kind of special because we build our own tool. Right. The other thing is kind of some platform-specific practices that we call a build to last, the API focus, which doesn't apply to all the others. But uh, so I've seen experience reports from others using Eclipseway, and it showed me that it's 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 a good set of agile practices, and it's worthwhile to mimic. And and it's publicly documented, so we can put a link into the show notes, I guess. Yeah. So let's draw an analogy. In the same way, maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but anyway. So in the same way as at some point, you and Kent decided to codify or build a tool that helps you do the test-driven development, which would be JUnit, you also now took the Eclipse way and codified that into a tool that helps you do distributed agile development, which leads us to jazz. Although right. you don't like jazz, I was told. I don't like jazz music. Yeah. I like the jazz project a lot. So, <laughs> so uh, in a way, I think... Chess again was driven by different influences and obviously the Eclipse influence was, was, was big, right? We learned a lot from Eclipse. First of all, I mentioned this transparency. I mentioned yeah. the, the practice we do and, uh, how we can actually get more tool support with these practices. Mm -hmm. So exactly, you want to kind of, uh, support the Eclipse way by chess as a tool set. However, it's obvious you know, we don't want to limit chess just to the Eclipse way, right? So that's right. why, and the way we do that is kind of you have some process awareness in the kernel and you can plug in different processes. The Eclipse and, process framework thing, right? No, no, the Eclipse process framework we use mostly for the des describing oh, process. Mm -hmm. okay. right? mm -hmm. It's a good framework right. for describing the tasks, the input you have mm -hmm. and and what you should consider when you do that, what yeah. are practices for that. I really like practice as kind of as the key things, not not too much the task. So the Eclipse process framework fits into it for us. The this the, we call it the static process description, right? Just yeah, okay. If you want to read I up, see. yeah. But we are more interested from a tool side into enacted one, right? If right. you look at what our team does, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many steps to have to be aware of when you deliver a change to the team, right? So you have to copyright stuff. You have sometimes you need a review, and this is the thing which you want to enact, right? Which is kind of more interesting because this gives more value, right? Because reading, not everybody likes to read, but if you get guided and get assisting to do the boring, sure. yeah, tedious yeah. steps, that was kind of the idea. And of course, you don't want to constrain this and limit this to the Eclipse way. That's yeah. why we say, I said, the process is pluggable. You can plug in the Eclipse way. You can plug in other process, which can influence how Jazz behaves depending on mm -hmm. the process. Can you give us like an insight into a number of, let's say, cool, innovative features that Chess uh, provides. I mean, if people saw the demo or some of the videos, we'll put links into it, they can see live how things work. But can you give us like three or four really nice, convincing things that maybe other tools can't do? The challenge here is um, when it comes to team development and team support, yeah. it's not like with IDEs, uh, 
IDEs where it's just a single feature like a refactoring or quick fixes, right? Or support for, f- for fixing problems. Sure. It's many little things that help you to be more effective. Mm-hmm. So that's why I know I can't name you just one or two features. I can just more say what are our key focus areas okay. we have. Yeah, right? sure. So key, key themes are, um, whatever we do, we want to put the team in the center, right? What does a team how can you make the team more effective? Mm-hmm. We can do that now by having the tools know about the team structure, know about the team roles, about team responsibilities and team process. So the team first thing shows us a key theme, which I think is a really distinctive feature, right? You can mm-hmm. see what happens in a team. You can RSS feed from a team. Teams can have their own continuous build and they are associated with the team. Ah, cool. Uh, when you get invited into a team, right, you get set up and each team can also customize the process. Very important, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of really team focusedness. We understand a lot, and not every team is the same, right? That was a key lesson also from Eclipse, right? The team yeah. in Ottawa that doing SWT is totally different mm-hmm. than we in Zurich when you did Java development. So then there are kind of two levels in, in, in Jazz. One is the team as the smallest entity, except for the developer himself. And then there is maybe this bigger thing, which is a collection of teams that collaborate teams on the teams, teams of teams. Yes. Exactly. So that's then the next thing, right? You have teams and the tools, no teams and the relationship and the artifacts are fun. And then you, can, you have mechanisms to scale up to teams of teams. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, the, brings us into the other point where a key thing of Jazz is we have tightly integrated tools. Right. We have, uh, tools which allow us to answer questions which are hard to answer if you have them isolate or point right. tools. Like, yeah. you know, is the fix in the build or things like that, which you can just read information from the build system, from the bug tracking system. You can collect stuff manually, but you have exactly. it in one place. So, and the third thing is given that we have all these tools working together, right? We get information about progress and artifacts. That you wouldn't get otherwise because you can give it in a health information, project inf- information, yeah. which and again helps on the transparency, right? So it's kind of, summers is always say three things. Our team is in the center, then the process awareness that the tool really has process baked in mm-hmm. at the bottom because now process really, if you don't have it in the, in the, in the bottom, it's hard to bolt it on top right. unless you try to do this aspect and whatever technologies, which we, we know are very powerful, but have other trade-offs. And that's why we, we won't have it in the core. And then the third one is we collect data about how the team is doing, make it available, which improves transparency by health mm-hmm. report. Mm-hmm. One, just one feature I saw at some point was quite nice uh, that you, if you, if you <clears throat> fix a bug in a certain environment, you can make the environment persistent with the bug so if somebody else wants to work with that bug he can basically get the workspace that 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 that's completely set Absolutely. up so that's all the environment management crap that you have to go through seems to be gone and i think you know if you look at i'm great as i'm with today's development tools i feel i'm great with uh, with programming right i have refactoring quick right. fixes all the tedious stuff is is gone but when when it then when i leave my sandbox and I start to interact with the team, yeah. then it's where the boring stuff Absolutely. comes again, right? Yes. And that's what you want to address with Jazz. Mm-hmm. Like when you want to reproduce uh, the state of uh, your workspace with the failure in the build, right? We just have this information captured. You have a snapshot and you can say, okay, from this snapshot, create my workspace which right. matches that. Yeah. So is, is Jazz only for distributed teams or is there also... Absolutely not. No, I the way I would say it, no, Jazz is actually... Scales up to distributed teams. We use it ourselves since 11 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do all our jazz stuff uh, with jazz. But I would start to use it actually 
creator one developer, I would start to use Jazz these mm -hmm. days because you want to collaborate, you want to exchange stuff, you want to track stuff. You will soon have a need for a build. You want to share code. So yep. greater than one, I would start to use Jazz. Now, Jazz can really scale down. Yeah. So what do I have to do to use Jazz? Is it commercial? Is it open source? So, <laughs> Or is it so released yet? We have a better program. So uh, you can register on jazz.net. Uh, mm -hmm. Try to get a registration. Uh, we want to have a, a, a more gradual approach now to, to make it available. Uh, it's not open source. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, Right now, it's, it, there will be a commercial product next year. Uh, the name, of course, I, I don't mind. So jazz is the code name. It's not jazz. And jazz is kind of more the name of the technology. Okay. Right. The product. There will be products building on top of the jazz. Same as the Eclipse. Right. Eclipse is a yeah. platform. You will see right. products building on top of it, and we will bundle the first thing, which uh, which will have you no know, the, the collaboration support, build, uh, source control, bug tracking. So you've got your own version control system in it. It's you know, we have different integration approaches. As I said, tight integration is very right. important for yeah. us. So that's why you have three actually. That's a sensitive area. We have three areas, three kind of integrations, right? We have our own, yeah. which gives it a tight and deep integration. Then we have kind of what we call more um, coexistence. So when you have subversion, right? So not everybody wants to jump on our own, we understand that. Yeah. So we have kind of a, uh, either you can import uh, from subversion or you can just get a looser integration with subversion. Mm -hmm. And the third level is what we call connectors, which mm -hmm. gives us a bridge to um, existing source control system, exactly in particular the ones we have clearcase. at Rational Demand, Clearcase, right? So we have a connector to Clearcase and Ideas, and we can synchronize with the motherhood uh, SCM. You can yeah. do, so a team could work in Jazz and synchronize with the motherhood uh, from time to time, like more releases. Yes. So yeah. the day-to-day -day stuff is in. Okay, so, yeah. so this kind of also shows nice the, the different integration levels right. we yeah. have to support. Okay, so let's let's finish up this jazz discussion with the question of how it relates to Eclipse. It's obviously built on top on top of Eclipse, and you already said that it's going to be a commercial product. Will parts of it, all the technology, will that go? Some of it go to Eclipse. You're right. Now we we leverage Eclipse heavily on both the client and the server, and even our web infrastructure is using uh, the Eclipse modularity OSGI support to get extensibility. We have, of course, leveraged the Clips experience we have built on that as well. And the question about open sourcing parts of it. So we will, we have announced we consider uh, open sourcing parts mm -hmm. of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of for us an interesting challenge. You now, where to draw the line? Yeah. And given that this challenge is so long, it takes us longer to, to fix it, but it's still the intent that we open source part of the infrastructure and very open source is that's still open right right now we have our community on chest.net mm -hmm. that's where you have a uh, credit like when we started eclipse right you have news groups yeah. uh, mailing lists whatever you want yeah okay okay let's look at uh, two three topics uh, that are not directly related to these things um before we close this episode one is um that i mean you're obviously quite experienced in building tools for languages you've done the java ide part of eclipse i think that was your responsibility i was original team lead, i original lead of the child element tools right yes. yeah and now you've moved on to eclipse so other people do that now i guess that's what i understand no 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 oh, no no i said i moved Move on, on to, to chess that's no, what i wanted that, to say that is not true no, okay no no, no 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 eclipse is still dear to our heart right so okay. part of the development some developers have uh, moved eclipse but there's lots of horsepower uh Okay. Still in, no, I mean, you in, personally in, focus on, personally, on jazz. That's what I'm, I'm focusing on jazz, yeah. but it's not true no, that all the clips developers no, no, no. in my team move off jazz. No, that's clips what, is dear yeah. to our heart. Yeah. And uh, in my lab in Zurich, right, it's about um, half team is working on the clips, ah, okay. the other half is working on jazz. Okay. So what I 
wanted to try to get at was the fact that, um, well, we all know this this hype on dynamic languages. Well, right. I shouldn't call it hype. I mean, there is serious stuff yeah. in it. So what do you think from a tool builder's perspective? Is it really the type, the static typing that makes tools like Eclipse possible? Or do you think that it's just harder to build good tools for dynamic languages and they will show up at some point? No, I, I think it's definitely possible. But the problem is that we have so many different of these dynamic languages. And yep. if you look at all our investment, you have build into JDT, right? And that sets the bar. Yes. And the challenge is really, you know, forget all the other languages, get to the similar bar. And the right thing to do there, I think, is, and that's what you're already seeing happening now, you build some common infrastructure. Yeah. Like a diamond, uh, the dynamic language. Uh, toolkit or whatever it's toolkit, called, yeah. yeah. Which exa- exactly tries to do that. Yeah. And many things you can do for, for dynamic languages as well. Yeah. Of course, the myth of, sta- of static type information restricts the amount of searching and, and things you can do. But and refactoring, you can't do this if you know of what the type of something uh, is. You can't... Don't forget, right? Refactoring started in Smalltalk, right? That is interesting, yes. Yeah, so, good point, yeah. And there are ways to do it, you know, by looking what's in the message, uh, what's in the catalogs, which messages are available, whatever. So mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you can do things. Just a bit more complicated because you don't have this type tag. You actually have yeah. to understand what's hap- what happens. But I think, you no. Know, that's the thing. We should not forget. Smalltalk had a very good IDE. Mm. They had refactoring. So it's mm. a dynamic language. Yeah. Yeah. Self is not a dynamic language. It had a very good IDE. Yeah. So we should not use it as an excuse yeah. for not being ambitious. When right. It comes That's actually, now that you talk about it, I think the one reason why Self and Smalltalk could do it is because it was a self-reflective system. So the, yeah. the, 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 the IDE worked basically in the same, let's call it VM for the sake of the argument, yeah, yeah, yeah. as the thing. And for example, in Ruby... As far as I understand, that's not the case. It's not a repository VM-based thing you have. You know what I'm trying to get at? So if you have reflection and, and can do all these things dynamically as opposed to just having, let's say, text that you have to analyze, it's probably a different world. Maybe that's interesting to right. look at at so some point. So you need the meta information, right? And, of course, in small, you just had it there. You literally ask the object, yes, what can exactly, you do? Exactly, and you have it there. It's yeah. at runtime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you see now... Uh, Refactoring tools for Ruby merging. Yeah. I guess there's a, what's a post to Hadoop's learned. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, true. Other work, so. <laughs> yeah. Peter Somalad is doing something exactly. in that area. So, and uh, I think we should continue being ambitious yeah. uh, even there. And dynamic languages have to play. So it's important to take JavaScript, right? It's very important to have very good JavaScript. Yeah. Tools, no One thing that, that you also mentioned in passing was. Um, one reason why we have these great tools for Java development is also because for a couple of years, I think this time is over, there was only one language. It was Java. So everybody invested into that. Now that we have maybe a bit more diversity again, maybe there is not as much as much money going into each of those. So maybe we shouldn't expect tools to be that great anymore. I, see, we were never in the in the luxury position to work with one technology as self-developers. I think Savan, right? We always had XML. We always had uh, HTML, whatever. So I think single language... That's 10 years ago, right? So we work with multiple languages, multiple technologies, and it's so important that we get nice integration. When I Also between the languages. Between the languages. Yeah, when good, I do refactoring, point. and then I do rename that the spring uh, description uh, uh, factory reference to a class yeah. gets also updated, yeah. all the things, which is, I guess, yeah. another challenge you have in the tool space, right? Yeah. yeah, there's also some, yeah, where I work in this modeling environment where you want to change a model element and that also mod- also changes the name of a class you generated from it or the other way around and so this exactly. kind of stuff. So that's why also in Eclipse you've invested in uh, refactoring participation to yes. enable such things. refactoring framework where you can plug in, literally. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, wrap this episode up uh, with uh, a last question. You've done quite a bit of work in 
all kinds of areas in software engineering. What is your uh, opinion about what's really the important characteristics a software engineer should have? What, what should people invest in when they try to make themselves better? I think a passion for programming yeah, that is, helps. is always there, right? So that's you should not feel good if you haven't programmed since a while. So mm -hmm. I think this passion has to be there. And that's very important, right? Our stuff is moving so fast. So make yeah. yourself a test. Have you read a book in the last two months? Have you read a new book? Have you learned a new language in the last mm -hmm. year? So continuous learning, obviously, is the obvious thing. And I think it's the fact that you have so many open source projects now. You know, there is such a wealth of stuff to learn from. So I think really the best way to learn is now look into open source projects, yep. how they do stuff. You learn yep. the process, you learn uh, interesting you know, development techniques, whatever. Yep. So it's really continuous learning. And So what was the last language you've looked into, just out of curiosity? So I, I bought the book, haven't looked into it. I, I bought the <laughs> Erlang book. Ah, cool. I, I bought it too and I read it already. Oh, good. You're, you're ahead of me. Okay, Eric, thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, well, thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. If you want to get more information about Software Engineering Radio or if you want to give us feedback, please go to our website at se-radio.net. You can also contact the team at team at se-radio.net, although we prefer entries in our comments system on the website so other people can see what you think. Software Engineering Radio wants to thank Henning Pauli for the intro and outro music as well as Lipson for providing the bandwidth. This episode of SE Radio, as well as all other episodes, is licensed under Creative Commons license. See the Software Engineering Radio website for details.